This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Wednesday, March 8, 2023. I am Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. It is a joy to be with you today on International Women's Day when we really, we are at least acknowledge, acknowledge the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. And we also acknowledge how far we have to go. Uh, Women do not participate in the workforce at the levels of which we are capable. Uh, We don't have the educational opportunities worldwide that we deserve and that we need and that the world needs. Half of the world is female. If you deny half the world their education, the world is much poorer for it. If you deny half the world their opportunity to make the money that they need to make, that they deserve to make, get the wages that they deserve, we're all the poorer literally and figuratively for it. So we're going to be talking about that with... uh, Janice Mathis, the executive director of the National Council of Negro Women, the nation's most esteemed and oldest black women's organization. Uh, And Mary McLeod Bethune is one of the founders and, of course, led for so many years by Dorothy Height. And she is in that tradition. And we're going to be talking about that. The most vulnerable women in America, aside from indigenous women, remain black women. But women, white to black in the United States have the highest maternal mortality rates of any group of women in the developed industrial world. Why is that? Why is it that we still have this persistent wage gap? What is going on? We're going to talk about it with Attorney Janice Mathis and diabetes with Dr. Shanita Knighton and sugar, your sugar intake and how that prevents you from losing weight, everybody. That's why everybody's taking these these drugs for uh, diabetes because they're trying to regulate your blood sugar. But if you can get sugar out your system, you won't need to do that. So think about that today, everybody, on the Santita Jackson Show. So let's get to some of these headlines. Um, of course, legal Q&A with C.K. Uh, Fonnie Willis who is uh, Atlanta's prosecutor, chief prosecutor. The Republican-led legislature is looking to strip her of her powers, if not take her job. We see that happening. We saw it happen with Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore. We We see it happening with Kim Fox. These women, these black women, these women who see flaws in the system and want to correct them, Um, these women who are unafraid of making the changes or issuing the challenges that the system needs, uh, they are under attack. We're going to talk about that in the 7 o'clock hour. So let's get right to it, everybody, on International Women's Day in Chicago. We're going to have a high of 41 degrees, mostly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 35 degrees, snow showers. In the NBA, the 76ers, 117, the Timberwolves, 94. The Bulls will be playing the Nuggets tonight. In the NHL, the Flames shut out the Wild, one to nothing, and the Red Wings will be playing Chicago today. Going to dedicate the show to Reverend Stanley Keeble. Indeed, he is a legend uh, in the gospel field, the developer of the Gospel Music uh, Museum, but really somewhat a contemporary of Mahalia Jackson's, of Albertina Walker's, of James Cleveland, all these people he has played with and worked with. And we just want to thank God 
for his life today, 86 years young, and he is Uncle Stanley still out here moving. And thank you, Pastor Ricky Johnson, for helping me to understand that. And, of course, as a great singer that you are, you can speak to his legacy when we bring you up shortly. And, of course, dedicating the show to someone who's been on with us several times. You, In fact, we were stationed at his restaurant in South Carolina during the 2020 primary season, Kevin Gray great barbecue restaurant that's really become like a civil rights museum. Wow, I can't believe I'm saying this. He made his transition yesterday. They found him in his yard, collapsed. And my heart is broken today. I am working with a broken heart. He was someone who was foundational in my life. Can't really say there was anyone closer to me, and it's just heartbreaking. But I thank God for the work that he did. I thank God for his historic our role in the 84 and 88 campaigns. He indeed uh, was the manager of Reverend Jackson's South Carolina campaigns and one of the architects of his presidential campaigns and uh, just a leading activist and organizer in his right. Every time he'd come on, he'd tell people, we got to organize, we got to organize. I love you, Kevin Gray. I love you, Reverend Stanley Keeble. So let's get right to it, everybody. Many parts of California, according to the CNN report, are attempting to recover from colossal amounts of snow that have trapped mountain communities, everybody. More than 16 million people in that state are now under flood watches ahead of a storm set to drench the state Thursday with dangerous amounts of rain. The places that will be impacted mostly across central and northern California include the San Francisco Bay Area. Two of the four Americans who authorities say were kidnapped in Mexico last week have been found dead, officials said Tuesday. The two were found alive. The other two were found alive. A group of friends traveling from South Carolina in their van. Uh, One of them, a mother of six, would undergo what they were seeking. She was seeking to undergo a medical procedure, and she had her... Her family and friends with her, trying to help her to get there, but they never made it to the appointment. This is just a tragic situation, and we will hear more about it as the days go forward. The U.S. is planning to relax COVID-19 testing restrictions for travelers from China as soon as Friday, according to a CNN report. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Thank you, Pastor Vicki Johnson, for uh, reminding me about... Uh, Reverend Stanley Keeble's birthday. Thank you so much for that. I needed needed that. We we love Reverend Stanley Keeble, and he is full of so much history, Pastor Johnson. He's walking history, yes. and he carries the history with him and reminds us of it all the time. Yes, he is, and um, has been around for so long, having an impact on various communities, spreading gospel music. Um, Playing, he's a, an organist, uh, an organizer of choirs, and uh, just has really been a blessing to us. And we must always remember our legends that are walking among us. That's right. Before we remember them, let us get to know right. them. <laughs> you know, yes. Yes. Pastor Johnson. You know, I've told you. I told you just before I went on the air. You know, I just lost one of my dear, dear friends, and I've lost several foundational friends. You know, people who are who are part of your foundation, right? Um, I need some good news today, and I know you're going to give it to us. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning to you, Santita, and good morning to all of your morning stars and friends. There is good news. This week is the 35th annual National Week of Prayer for the Healing of AIDS that focuses 
primarily on black faith institutions. Despite the advancements of HIV AIDS treatment, the black community these many years later are yet disproportionately impacted by the disease. 42% of all new cases are African-Americans, even though we are only 13%, 13% of the population. So this week continues to exist to reduce this disparity. I attended an event uh, yesterday at Restoration Missionary Baptist Church, sponsored by the Universal Family Connections, where we came together to eat, pray, and love. It is good for us to gather to eat, pray, and love. I know we love to come together to eat, and we don't mind praying while we're there. But we have not always been able to come together to love around the epidemic of HIV AIDS. We have often been too caught up in our fears and phobias to love. We have been too distracted by judgments determining why God allowed this to happen to those people to love. Yes, we could eat and pray, but we found it hard to love. That was over 30 years ago when the struggle first began. We sang and shouted as we watched our tenor sections and our church choirs quietly disappear. Families were hurting and confused. We would eat and pray, but we didn't know how to love as Jesus taught us. After all, if we loved up close, we could get it too. So we thought. So there were a few soldiers of us who took on the task of breaking faith barriers We were an army, and we had to be because we were not always welcomed into the church. We broke faith barriers by moving first into church health ministries and then through families who had lost loved ones to AIDS. We knew that education was the key and organized HIV-AIDS prevention education programs specifically for churches working through lay leaders because some pastors did not want their names associated with this. Today, we must continue in the fight. Yes, things are so much better than they once were, but we yet have a long way to go. We must continue breaking faith barriers. Since love is an action word, it is incumbent upon us to get into action and devise strategies that will empower us to decrease the numbers of African American people being impacted by HIV AIDS. 
Know your status. Get tested. Use condoms. Don't share needles. Spread the word. Then we will be able to eat happily, pray believingly, and love completely. If you will do this, and I hope that you will, then to me, that's good news. Amen. Love, love, love. That's the commandment. It's not a suggestion, everybody. It's what we're supposed to do. Didn't say I like you. (laughs) I don't have to do that. (laughs) But if I love you, that that guides my intention in all of my interactions with you. And so love you. And how can we worship with you and get some more of this good message from you on Sunday and throughout the week? You can worship with us at St. Thomas Lutheran Church, 80th. And Jeffrey Boulevard, <laughs> Chicago, Illinois. Uh, our morning services are at 11.30 a.m., one hour of power. Or you can join us on Facebook, uh, St. Thomas Lutheran Church, Chicago. We'd love to have you. That's right. 80th and Jeffrey, right on the corner, everybody, <laughs> right here on the great south side of Chicago. Sending you much love, Pastor Vicki Johnson. And, of course, we've got infection preventionist, Hey, Dr. Nina, that is her handle in social media. You need to follow her, Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. You know, as we look at um, AIDS transmission, HIV transmission, which in the black community is still quite high and to hear uh, Pastor Johnson say, wait a minute, you need condoms. Wait a minute, you need not share needles. In fact, don't do that. Preventing infection is um, is the way we prevent transmission. Um, what, tell me, how, how, how should we go about handling AIDS all these years later? It's been 40 years. And yet it is still surging in the black community. Good morning. So Good morning. I would say that one of the big things, well, we are, it's placed, we're placed by a lot of stuff. And when I say placed by a lot of things, like the reality is, is that when we think about, let's say, drug use, which has increased, mm-hmm. um, which is a big deal when you think about, like, let's say heroin and things that may require needles, is that the sharing of needles does increase the risk for some of these other illnesses. So hepatitis, you know, HIV, AIDS, a lot of things when it comes to, like, the exchange of blood. There's also still risky behaviors that have occurred, and no, this is not pinning it upon any particular population whatsoever. But we know that the MSM community, meaning like the men that have sex with men community, there are studies that show the increased risk that is associated with some of the um, some of these illnesses that occur. And so there is one thing where, let's say, there might be the acquiring of, let's say, HIV/AIDS, but then there's the transmission that comes afterwards which sometimes occurs because of incorrect practices when we are thinking about the sharing of needles. 
That is a part of infection prevention and control, meaning that for years we continue to emphasize how important it is to use um, single use. There's a lot of guidelines that share that are shared in regards to safe disposal of needles. Um, you see that there are initiatives right now, like many people may have, let's say, bashed leadership when they said, why are they giving them needles? However, if it's unintended consequence of sharing needles, is going to be that you're going to end up with a more serious disease, but you know that people are not going to stop the drug use right away. While it's not the ideal thing to do, is making sure that they can do it in uh, I was it's still not safe, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's still mm-hmm. in my safe manner for them to not um, impact themselves uh, negatively by sharing needles with someone that may be infected. So you look at where we are now and you say, why is this still a thing? Unfortunately, it's, a, it's still a thing in, let's say, under-resourced countries or under-resourced mm-hmm. settings. Um, it's still a thing because people are trying to keep resources when, in fact, they may not have access to adequate supply of needles. They may say to themselves, hey, like I'm getting ready to inject myself with my medication, but I don't have any more needles, and they may reuse that needle and not understand the negative implications of it. So it is unfortunate, but these are things that happen that will prompt somebody to use something that is, um, like, that is contaminated. And that's the thing that we don't think about is that one you use a needle and it is, let's say, exposed to your blood, and then your blood is exposed to environmental factors, then it's not the same needle that it was sterile going inside of your arm or breaking the skin. So... It's a challenging topic, uh, Santita, because it is complicated in that it's not just as, it's just not as simple as people using infected needles. It's just or or using single use needles over over and over again. But it's more so why it's the why is this happening and trying to uncover the why and trying to make sure that there is adequate. Supply of needles, making sure that there is adequate like prevention that um, is in place for populations that are high risk is of most importance. And I know I always say that prevention is better than treatment. And you know that there's that saying that like, you know, an ounce is worth a pound of cure. But it does ring accurate when you are talking about the co-infections that exist when someone does encounter HIV AIDS. Hmm. Co-infections, just very quickly. What do you mean? Co-infections um, is having more than one infection at the same time. Hmm. So, hmm. meaning that these populations might be pro, they're predisposed to certain respiratory illnesses. Yes. They're predisposed to certain fungal illnesses. So, infections that can occur that may not necessarily be the cause, but they are closely related because of the risk that you may be put at. And it's similar just to how we experience COVID, where a lot of people that suffered bad from COVID also may have had a co-infection of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, what I mean when I mean co-infection. So it's having more than one illness at the same time that may not necessarily be related, 
Mm-hmm. But it's both causing havoc in the body at the same time. And when your immune system is depressed, of course, that makes it oh, much worse. Everybody, HIV, AIDS, still with us as we're looking at so many things. I mean, it seems like it seems like we're being assaulted on every side. But you've got to be careful. And the thing is, there's information out here that can save your life and save the lives of those you love and even those you like. So everybody, please be careful out here and prevent those infections. Go to Hey Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. That's her social media handle so that you can follow her and get the information you need. Coming up, let's talk about International Women's Day. Where are women? Where are we really? In America, we have the highest maternal mortality rates for all women, from white to black, everybody in between. Of any country in the the industrial world, what does that mean? We're still not making the money that we should be making. Back with more on the Sandy Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Let's change the world to make it a better place. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. I'm Santita Jackson. This is the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. It is International Women's Day. The United Nations says, you know, what we're going to do is acknowledge the challenges facing women, but we're also going to celebrate their achievements in the social, economic, cultural, and political realms. And we need to do that. But we need to acknowledge the persistent wage gap. We need to need to look at the fact that most women in the world do not have access. Um, Well, not most, but at least 37 percent of the women of the world do not have access to the Internet. If you don't have access to the Internet, you are cut off from information. 259 fewer, 259 million fewer women have access to the Internet than men. Why? Why is it that there is still a persistent wage gap? Why is maternal mortality in the United States so high? Why is hygiene poverty an issue? Why, 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 why? These are things that we need to be talking about as we look at so many women. You know, we always project the woman who has been able to overcome odds that she shouldn't have had to overcome in the first place. Like we do that with black people. We do that with all marginalized people. But the fact is most women are still under the boot. Most women do not make the money that we need to make to feed ourselves, let alone our children or our loved ones, because the caregiving for families, the caretaking of families still falls on the girl child. So let's talk about this today with the executive director of the National Council of Negro Women. I'm so excited. She is in the tradition of Mary McLeod Bethune and Dorothy Height and Dr. Jeanetta Cole, uh, the brilliant Dr. Janice Mathis. I was introducing you to the brilliant Dr. Shanita Knight, an infection preventionist, uh, off air, because we've got to get this young woman who's achieved so much and who just has a spirit to serve Attorney Mathis. Um, we've got to get her before our people, because as we look at Uh, HIV infection, still climbing in the black community, and still climbing. STDs are still out here. We need someone who understands how to prevent infection. 
and who speaks to us without judgment. International Women's Day. What does it mean and why is it relevant to American women and women of all backgrounds? Well, good morning, Cynthia. First of all, thank you for having me on the show this morning. International Women's Day is an important reminder that women across the globe are still not reaching their full potential. Whether you're talking about sustainability or accumulation of wealth or women in the labor force or women in technology or health, as Sister Shaneda is, Women are lagging behind around the globe, and it is no different here in the United States. After making some progress during the 80s and the 90s, progress for women, particularly black women, has stalled in the 21st century. Uh, Women are still participating in the labor force at about a 50% rate, and men are participating at a 75% rate. If we could close that gap, we could increase GDP in this country, and the same is true around the globe, by 25%. That would mean more for everyone, more production, a better standard of living, and that translates to better health as well. So we have a lot of work to do. This is supposed to be the decade of action as we lead up to the 2030 deadline for achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Of course, we are particularly focused on sustainable development goal number five, which is ending all forms of violence and discrimination against women and girls. But we have a long way to go. And we are reminded today on International Women's Day that it has been 25 years since the Beijing Declaration that equal power and equal rights for women are essential. Because gender equity is good economics, it's good public policy. When women are involved in decision-making, we get better decisions. But we are not making the progress that we need to make at this moment, not in the United States, not on the continent of Africa, not in Asia, not around the globe. As a matter of fact, no nation has achieved gender equality. You know, it's amazing during the Hillary Clinton campaign. Indeed, when Reverend Jackson ran for president, it was a revolutionary idea. He was the only candidate who out the gate said, I will have a woman as my as my uh, as my running mate if I become the nominee. The eventual nominee would not would not agree to that. And not none of the other candidates would agree to that. And in fact, uh, you had Geraldine Ferraro, who was put on the ticket because of Reverend Jackson's push, but it was also to undercut the rainbow, sadly. And many of our uh, white sisters did not, didn't speak to that, as you recall, at the convention when when we were trying to get our four minority planks on the Democrats' platform. And I bring that up because there is intersectionality here, right? Um, The fact is, women still have tremendous barriers. I mean, let's just make it practical. I was talking to a friend of mine who worked for a big company, and she found that as late as the early aughts, just after 2000, and I'm speaking to you and to Dr. Knighton, uh, all of the C-suite female executives made less than the men. I mean, and this was a company run by a woman. How does that happen? 
It happens because not all women, it's a rhetorical question, I guess, but it happens because not all women are sufficiently committed to gender equality. You can't assume that because the leader is a woman that she is also a feminist. Only 5% of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are women, and and virtually none are black women. And so there are huge gaps that need to be filled. Whether we're talking about families or health, as Dr. Knight is, or education. And what is what is so maddening about it is now women are more likely to be in college than men, but that seems not that was a tried and true way to prosperity and self-determination in the United States. Get a college degree. That no longer holds true when it comes to women. So, I mean, what, I mean, if, if you want to, if you find out that your peer is making more money than you, what would you recommend that a woman do? I think the first thing she should do is approach her board of directors. If she is indeed in the C-suite, mm-hmm. approach the compensation committee of the board of directors and raise the issue bluntly and squarely and ask what they will do about it. If there is no action, then there is always uh, legal action that can be taken because gender discrimination is illegal in the United States. That is different than saying it is enforced, however, as you well know. Absolutely. We're talking about International Women's Day and the barriers to women's progress that still exists today. Indeed, when Hillary Clinton ran for president, uh, Nick Kristoff, the opinion writer for the New York Times, made this observation. He said, you know, we had now can see after we have had a black man run for president, seize the nomination, and now he's the president-elect at that time, uh, that while racism is wider, sexism is deeper. Because you will see men of all colors come together <laughs> to counter a woman, Dr. Dr. Knighton and, and Attorney Mathis. I mean, and you know, just and I think it's part of the, the, their socialization, Attorney Mathis and Dr. Knighton. I mean, because they're taught to play on teams. You know, they, they come together. I mean, they come together across racial and political lines because we got to win this game. <laughs> and women come together, but if you compare that for example, to uh, the number of women who continue to support candidates who don't support women, Mm -hmm. it's impossible to see how many women vote against their own best interest in the political arena. Uh, Uh, Dr. Knighton, were you... Oh, I'm sorry. So, yes. So, no, I was just going to comment. So, echoing what it is that you're saying... But I think the problem is, and I love the point that she made, and that's the fact that just because someone is in leadership doesn't mean that they are interested in bringing along other women or have a clear understanding of the, you know, inequalities that exist when we are talking about women and men that are in leadership. And so we have seen that time and time again, unfortunately, that instead of bringing our sisters up, and when I say sisters, I'm talking about sisters of all colors and creeds, backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, instead of bringing our sisters up, instead there's this crabs in the barrel mentality that's created. 
And unfortunately, I've been in those situations of where you automatically assume that because we understand what the challenges are in order for us to be able to elevate, that we're going to make room for others and that we're going to make sure that unapologetically the same way men elevate each other, that we elevate each other. However, that's not the case. And it's more of a complicated situation in that the conversations need to be had of why in some of these instances do we feel like we have to be pinned against each other. And that is a more overarching question. So I would say that's the psychological piece. But when we talk about the health piece, there's so much that we can all relate to and come together about, including the fact that when we talk about, let's say, administration cycle and that our incarcerated women are having to utilize, you know, sanitation supplies as if it is a luxury when that is our God-given right because that is something humanly and naturally that has to happen with the body. So the fact that we are even thinking about period poverty, even here in 2023, the fact that girls and women are without the essentials of what it is that they need, the fact that because there isn't, let's say, women's health that is amplified in the manner of which it should be and it's not funded in the manner which it should be, that those are things that we can all relate to because, unfortunately, that is what negatively impacts us. And when we think about topics such as, you know, um, maternal and infant mortality, it is a direct effect of our needs, our specific needs as women, not being amplified, not being funded, not being supported. And naturally, if you cannot be taken care of health-wise, then it's going to be very challenging to be able to elevate in any sort of position. So health is the first thing. And as we look at International Women's Day, there's so much for us to elevate the conversation about in regards to being able to support each other when it comes to the things that we all share, and that's health. We all share health, but it's, you know, African-American women, for example, I mean, we're all women, white to black and every color in between. Uh, The maternal mortality rate in the United States is through the roof. It's the highest that we see in the developed world, in the so-called first world. I mean, Janice Mathis, when we go to when we go to the the doctor's office, when we go into our other professional spaces, we're not heard. You know, when we complain, someone one of the most best conditioned bodies in the world it belongs to Serena Williams, and she knows because she developed it. She felt a blood clot, which she has a history of having. She felt it coming on just after she had her baby. No one could pay attention to her. She almost died. After she had her daughter, Olympia. And I said, wow, if it can happen to Serena, <laughs> it can happen to anybody. And many people on her, on her health care team were women. You know, it's just, it seems to me that, um, you know, there's a lot of work that I think that we have to do internally as women amongst, amongst ourselves. Uh, and, you know, in ter- and also in terms of fighting for each other because we're not heard. We're not seen. It's almost like we're children. You know, Janice I, Mathis. Reverend Jesse Jackson has been my low star in terms of public policy low these 30 or 40 years. And I keep going back to something in the back of my mind. Women can't buy bread people. Women can't buy milk people. Mm-hmm. Talking about um, the obstacles that women face in their economic lives. 
And this thing is consistent. When you have policies that penalize women because they bear children, penalize women because they have periods, penalize women, um, those are systems of inequality that we have to confront. But it also plays out on a personal level. I can recall working for your dad, uh, Ben Peter, and, you know, we had something called the Trade Bureau, where people would come to us for help with their businesses. And the tellers were absolutely, uh, Dad, I need you to do this. I need you to write a letter to this. I need you to call this person. And the women were much more submissive in their approach. Do you think Reverend Jackson might be willing to, you know, just almost afraid to ask? Mm-hmm. And made a deep impression on me. We got to get to be more like the fellas in demanding what we want and what we need. And I'm proud to say that at our convention in December, the National Council of Negro Women delegates voted in favor of a resolution and action to address this idea of period poverty. This is an issue that is, is growing in, um, in relevance and understanding. We had a staff retreat earlier this week. And the young women pointed out to us that universal child care is among their top priorities. Why? You can't get good high-quality child care. You can't take the job that will pay you the most money because you need to worry about your children. Most domestic work that is unpaid still falls on the shoulders of women, and it retards their economic growth and accomplishment. This is very real. I mean, and and what did they say? You know, Mavis Staples and the Staples singers sang a song that I first heard in Ghana when I was a little girl. When will we be paid for the work we've done? I mean, women's work is not just unheralded. It is unpaid. I mean, you can't just caring for a home, pulling your home together. And women, indeed, work another shift. Attorney Mathis and Dr. Knighton. You know, when you come home after you've been busting it out here, you know, in the world, you come home and you have another shift. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying I'd like to have it acknowledged. Um, and I want this pay gap closed. Reverend Martin, you know, Reverend did say, you know, milk is not cheaper for me. A mortgage is not cheaper for me. But I remember my aunt having to have a man sign, co-sign for her mortgage in the 70s. I'm like, wait a minute. In the 70s, she, had, she as, a, as a public school teacher who made a nice living, she, couldn't, she could not sign for her own home. And she had excellent credit. And I'm just wondering, what, what, other, what other work do we need to do? Because on International Women's Day, as we watch Beyonce, as we watch the Forever First Lady, uh, Michelle Obama, as we watch women, uh, Oprah Winfrey, you, and Dr. Knight and you, women who have these high profiles, but I'm like, but that's not the reality for most women. Most women, you know, are, are afraid to go ask for that raise or for pay equity. Just I, I need to make what the man on my job who has the same job makes. I, I need that. <laughs> Just, you know, in practical terms, uh, before I go, I'm going to come pivot back to you uh, Attorney Mathis, but Dr. Knighton, what do you want people to know on this International Women's Day? So I just want to acknowledge the fact, so I thought it was interesting, you know, when you started rattling off those names at the beginning, and I just think it's so fitting, you know, that 
all of them, if not the majority, are members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Come on. Whoop, 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 whoop. The most wonderful organization. So I just had to put that plug in there because I'm thinking about, you know, the, the notable ones, the trendsetters. And it's really the thing that I just want to acknowledge of all women, whether we're doing or what we consider to be a small part, a big part, whether that is being a mother who is ushering in more women, you know, to make sure that they are leaders. It's really just understanding that so many ways and in so many instances we have to check our privilege, but also make sure that we understand that it is a God-given duty for us to be able to acknowledge women, be able to lift them up, and then as well as voice concerns and be the voice for those that are unheard, especially when we do talk about issues that do put women in the situation of life or death. We can go on and on and on in regards to the injustices and inequalities that exist when we talk about women's rights, when we talk about women being able to thrive, when we talk about women being able to take on certain jobs, women being told what it is that we can wear, women being told about our reproductive rights. So if we're thinking about International Women's Day, all month long, we have to understand that it's also a 365. Like, it is a 365 thing. It's not something that whenever is on the radar of many that it shouldn't be on our radar and that we shouldn't be able to look back at every International Women's Day and say, what progress have we made this year? Opposed to us being able to still highlight problems, think about what are we doing to make sure that every single year we can say that we've moved a needle. And so that's really what I would like to reflect on or want the audience to know is that as we're thinking about it, how do we change it and make sure that we can say that we've made progress the next time we look around at this time next year? Mm. The last couple of minutes belong to you, Janice Mathis, Attorney Janice Mathis, uh, the head of the executive director of the National Council of Negro Women. Um, indeed, when we help black women, we help all women. That is how it's worked. And you know what? That doesn't bother me, <laughs> Attorney Mathis. In fact, I feel it's a, a it's it's a privilege to know that the rights that black people push for makes America what America is supposed to be and makes the world what it's supposed to be. It works for me, that Attorney Mathis. That is so true, Sensita. When we stand up, the entire world gets better. Because we're a very issue about women in physical safety. You know, we talk about economic opportunity. Do so you know that, and I'm sure you do, that a third of women around the world have experienced intimate partner violence. 18% of women have experienced violence with an intimate partner within the past year. It can be lethal. And so while we address the economic issues, we have to remember that there are some women whose very lives are in danger. And it is a 365-day effort, as Dr. Knight so uh, importantly pointed out. Um, we've got to address this on many levels, on the personal level, in our own households, but also on the systemic level. And it is a global phenomenon that women around the world have not achieved gender equity, and their society suffered because of it. So just use this day as a reminder, and there's something that everyone can do. I invite people to uh, Google Red Card Campaign. We're gathering a million signatures for women's equality and safety. You can take the Red Card Pledge. It comes out of the 
realm of soccer. The red card is a penalty in soccer. Gender discrimination and violence against women and girls deserves a penalty in every society. Amen, 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 amen. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. We hold up half the sky. We're half the world. Come on, everybody. We've got to do right by women. When you do right by women, the society will be right. And we can make it. We can make this happen. I'm so glad that you came on the show today, Attorney Janice Mathis. Thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, Dr. Knighton, for staying, for extending your stay. Because we've got a lot of work to do. Period poverty, come on. A hygiene poverty, come on. Wage gap, come on. We can do not just better, we need to do right. A friend of mine said when he was in the hospital, the doctor said, we're going to make you better. He said, then you can just give me my clothes and let me get out of here right now because I don't want to get better. I want to get well. So let's move from getting better to getting right to getting well. Love you, everybody. Stay right here. We're going to be talking about Fonnie Willis. Oh, Janice Mathis talking about her. They're trying to take her, well, not her, just her job from her. (laughs) They're trying to strip her of her ability to do her job. And they did that to, to Marilyn Mosby. They're trying to do it to Kim Fox. These women, these black women who come into power, who uh, decide to change the status quo. Look at what's happening. What's happening in Atlanta. What's happening all over. Got to talk about that on International Women's Day on the Santita Jackson Show. Please follow. Uh, what is your handle on, on social media? The National Council of Negro Women. Uh, Janice Mathis. At NCNWHQ. NCNW headquarters at NCNWHQ. And we have in more than 300 cities around the country. All right, everybody. And how can we reach you on social media, Dr. Knighton? Okay, Dr. Nina. All right. Keeping it real simple. I'm sending you all much love today, everybody. So let's talk about what's happening with Fonnie Willis. Let's talk about what's happening with these prosecutors who are willing to challenge the system, who are ready to challenge the system, uh, indict former President Trump, or uh, take lesser charges off the books. I mean, just not jail everybody. What's going on? Got to talk about that. (laughs) More of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I want you to meet my morning stars on the Santita Jackson and Friends page on Facebook, and on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Please meet them over there. We have a lot of great conversations. And today, we've been talking about International Women's Day. This is the day designated to uh, to acknowledge the achievements and the challenges that face women in the political, social, cultural uh, realms, economic realms. We've got a lot of progress that we've made, a lot more progress that needs to be made. And you see it as we look at these women prosecutors, specifically black women prosecutors who have uh, 
another approach to prosecution. They're unafraid of challenging the status quo, and um, and they're paying the price for it. We're going to be talking about what's happening with Fannie Willis down in Atlanta, someone who's on the verge of indicting former President Trump for election interference. And people are now the Georgia state legislature is on the verge of stripping of her powers, if not her job. We see it with Kim Fox here. We saw it with Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, Maryland. And Marilyn Mosby is the daughter of police officers. Wow. She's from a family of police. So it's just a lot to talk about and a lot to think about today on the Santita Jackson Show on International Women's Day, dedicating the show to Reverend Stanley Keeble, uh, the founder of the Gospel Music Museum, brilliant musician, uh, instrumentalist, and um, someone who's upholding the tradition of traditional gospel music and has been doing it all of our lives and then some. 86 years of age, dedicating the show today to Kevin Gray, some a brother beloved who's been on the show numerous times, the author of Killing Trayvons, an anthology of American violence, and, um, of course, former president of the South Carolina ACLU and the architect of Reverend Jackson's historic, iconic uh, races um, in South Carolina. Indeed, though, winning those races in 84, and 88 really cracked the code and opened the floodgates for Reverend Jackson and this historic campaign. And in many respects, no uh, Kevin Gray, no Barack Obama. There's a through line. He uh, made his transition yesterday, working in his yard. Boom. That was it. Sending his family so much love today. So much love today. Of course, I will be heading to South Carolina for those services when they make those arrangements. In Chicago, 41 degrees will be the high, mostly cloudy. 35 degrees will be the high in Minneapolis, St. Paul. In the NBA, 76ers 117, the Timberwolves 94. The Bulls will be playing the Nuggets tonight. In the NHL, the Flames shut out the Wild one to nothing, and the Red Wings will be playing Chicago. We'll see what's going to happen there. As many parts of California, according to CNN, attempt to recover from colossal amounts of rain... Guess what? 16 million more people are now under flood watches ahead of a storm set to drench the state with dangerous amounts of rain. It will be concentrated in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we're just praying for all of our brothers and sisters in this part of the country. Two of the four Americans who authorities say were kidnapped in Mexico in a state in a case of mistaken identity, have been found dead, according to officials. The other two were found alive. The group of friends traveled from South Carolina, so one of them, a mother of six, could undergo a medical procedure across the border, but they never made it to the appointment. Of course, medical tourism is big, and many places you can get excellent health care for much less money than you can in the United States. That's something for us to think about, everybody. They were mistaken for being Haitian drug smugglers, which they were not. And they were killed. The U.S. is planning to relax COVID-19 testing restrictions for travelers from China as soon as Friday, according to CNN. In December, federal health officials announced that starting January 5th, the U.S. would require all travelers from China to show a negative COVID test result before flying to the United States. After Beijing's rapid easing of COVID restrictions fed to a sur- led to a surge in cases, those restic- restrictions will be relaxed this week. And those are just a few of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. But now we didn't get Shapiro at the bottom of the last hour, but we got her now. Shapiro, how you doing? I gave you some news that I know that shook you this morning with Kevin Gray because we were based in his restaurant when we were broadcasting from there for the 2020 uh, uh, 
what is it, primary. We went to, we said, we've got to go to South Carolina. We've got to see what's going to happen. Because, of course, that was, will Bernie surge? Will Biden finally get out? Well, it turns out uh, Biden surged. And it led to the end of end of the campaigns of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. But what an exciting time and what a wonderful time we had in Kevin Gray's restaurant and boy, oh boy, Shapiro Wells. Yes. It was just shocking to hear you say that this morning. He built such a legacy there. Well, it's also that the restaurant is now a museum where everybody could see his legacy and what he's done throughout the years. So it's just, I'm just deeply saddened. But Celebrations by Us is your one-stop party connection. Right now, we are taking orders for prom. So we're doing your backdrops, your custom tables, as well as also your suite tables. So give us a call at 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546, and we'll handle all of your prom needs, your custom decor, your backdrops, your balloon arches, as well as also we do your suite tables. So don't hesitate to call us, 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you, Santita. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Coming into this prom season, just coming into the season, season. Everybody, who is Fonnie Willis? Well, she is one of these, one of this wave of black women who have become lead prosecutors in their cities, in their counties, in their states. And boy, are they having a hard time. Marilyn Mosby, uh, who said, you know, I want justice for everybody. We're not going to just put our thumbs on the scale for the police. We're going to protect the people. And um, she has been pushed out of office. Uh, and then, of course, we look at Kim Fox here in Chicago and her struggles. You know, they're to- we're told, oh, my goodness, you know, people who now you can sell marijuana in many places all around the country and these people get wealthy. <laughs> and and she said, you know what, if we can sell it. And since this is uh, what we have to do is stop incarcerating everybody. I'm going to I'm not going to prosecute and persecute everybody for everything. And boy, oh, boy, is she hated by the establishment. And now Fonnie Willis who is on the verge of maybe indicting President Trump for election interference in the 2020 Georgia uh, presidential election. And now the Republican legislature is uh, on the verge of stripping her of her powers, if not outright, uh, starting the wheels turning to, for her to lose her job. Of course, this legal Q&A with CK. And, of course, you've got uh, uh, Aaron Connolly, Attorney Aaron Connolly, and uh, Dwight McKee with us today to talk about this and... Just to talk about where all of this is going, <laughs> legal Q&A with CK, of course, from Court TV and, of course, host of her own show on WALK every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Attorney CK Hoffler. Good morning, Santita. Good morning to everyone. Well, first of all, uh, the family of Kevin Gray, I extend my condolences to all of us. Yes. He, is and will remain an iconic hero um, in this country and elsewhere. As as you said, Santita, he did so much, too much for us to talk about today. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to, again, extend my prayers to his family. And when we talk about celebrating international, international women and the great contributions that women have made to the world, we have to look here at home and look at the great contributions that some of our African-American women have made to the legal profession. 
And one aspect, one very, very important role that we're seeing, where we're seeing black women surge is as prosecutors. There have always been black women prosecutors, but now we're seeing black women as the lead prosecutor, as the top prosecutor, as the district attorney. And that is something that is new. We've seen it more over the past 10 years, and there really, truly is a surge. In the state of Georgia, for instance, there used to be five black women prosecutors, and now they're 14. Mm -hmm. And counting, there's a chief prosecutor of fire also in Harris County, the district attorney. So just so people know, in some jurisdictions, they're called district attorneys, but they're all prosecutors. They are prosecuted on behalf of citizens. And you have state prosecutors versus federal prosecutors. So we're really focused on the state prosecutors and prosecutors. Sonny Willis here in Fulton County. Now, Sonny Willis, I will, I've got to confess, when Sonny Willis ran, I had already pledged my support to her opponent. However, I was torn because I knew that she was a formidable candidate. She's known as being a no-nonsense lawyer, no-nonsense prosecutor. Indeed, she's many unpopular, with people with feel unpopular positions having nothing to do with Donald Trump because she has taken a very hard stance against crime. She's a centrist when it comes to law and order in Georgia, but she is currently prosecuting a number of rappers who are involved in you know, alleged mur- um, or murders or allegedly accused of murdering different people, gangs, that's violent. And she has pled to, um, to minimize and to prosecute those who are involved in these types of heinous crimes. And, but I have to really underscore, because for those of you who are not I really want to underscore that she is not intimidated, not being intimidated. And what the people on the street say, she doesn't play, and she's very serious and about it. Most importantly, she's a very tenacious, technically proficient prosecutor. And so let's just go through for one second the history of we got to this point as it relates to former President Donald Trump. She was handed evidence by the Republican leadership, I'm going to put it out, as it relates to voter fraud, allegedly, and voting irregularities. Where former President Trump, then President Trump, was trying to overturn, as we know, allegedly, but no, as we know, from the events of uh, the investigation January 6th, the election. Joe Biden had won. Um, this was before, of course, um, Joe Biden was sworn in, so technically Donald Trump was the president. And he placed a call to the Secretary of State asking for, basically the way it's been interpreted, him to deliver Georgia, to declare that the elections in Georgia were fraudulent, and he just needed 11,000-some votes to win. Secretary of State turned over that evidence. He was duty-bound, and he's also a Republican, to the Fulton County prosecutor. Why? Because it happened at Fulton and that person is Fonnie Willis. Was Fonnie Willis and still is Fonnie Willis. And from there, she's meticulously begun to investigate these voting rights crimes. For that, it's been under severe attack, criticized and called all kinds of, of names that are even more heinous when you think about it than the crimes that 
President Trump and his and his allies are allegedly being accused of. Um, there have been many attempts to attempt but steadfast in her determination to seek justice, just as she would seek justice when there are gang wars and prosecuting rappers, even if it's unpopular, she is seeking justice and prosecuting if the evidence is there and possibly indicting former President Donald Trump. It's just that simple. I'm not making a valid judgment whether she's right or wrong. I think she's following the evidence, and I believe she's doing what the taxpayer elected her to do. So that's the backdrop. But we have to look at what's happening on Phyllis now when you've got the Georgia legislature, legislature, which is a predominantly Republican body, which is seeking to introduce legislation that would reduce uh, the, the power, the prosecutor and the discretion the prosecutors have, and also lower the standard for recall. Clearly designed to get Bonnie Willis out of office. Let's make no mistake about it. It's been articulated. We don't have to even guess about that. Why? Because Bonnie Willis, if she's successful, and if she pursues what she believes is the evidence, will indict former President Trump and his allies without a question. She's going to do it if the evidence is there, if she feels that the evidence is there and, she, and it's lining up. She's not afraid of the political fallout, and she's indicated that. So this is a preemptive strike. When you're doing a good defense, you have to have an office, and that's what this is. Now, I will call that and make that judgment call because I'm here in Georgia, and it's been articulated that way. But Fonnie Willis is not alone. As you said, Santita, you could talk, to, talk about Marilyn Mosley in Baltimore. Kim Fox in Chicago, there are probably 15 or so black women prosecutors that are really, really being targeted because of their very progressive views on law and order. And, 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 and I say progressive views, views that are not necessarily embraced by even mainstream Democrats. And for that, they have been under attack personally and professionally. I've had to hire lawyers, I've had to defend themselves. In fact, Rainbow pushed it a panel. This was so severe a year and a half ago, dedicated to this very issue. So it's real, it's significant, and what I think we should look at today is what precedent would they set in Georgia? The Georgia state legislature would pass legislation, make it into law, where they can exercise their discretion and limit the power of prosecutors to prosecute and also lower the standards for a recall. Because if it happens in Georgia, we know it's going to Florida. It's going to go throughout the South and it will, it will morph into other parts of the country. So I thought today, Santee, we could discuss what the ramifications would be, the legal ramifications, the political ramifications, the moral ramifications, the civil rights ramifications, to legislatures try to take power away from prosecutors who are duly elected by citizens to prosecute. And we have an incredible panel. We've got, you mentioned Aaron Connolly, who's a, a, just a magnificent lawyer, magnificent political strategist there in Illinois. I, we call her our sister from another mother. <laughs> and so I'd like to hear what Aaron has to say about this situation, the, the targeting of prosecutors, black prosecutors, black women prosecutors in particular. Well, thank you, CK, and thank you, Santita. Um, this is a, a, a really important issue, and the facts of this case, in particular in Georgia, related to what the state legislature, as you mentioned, predominant 
predominantly Republican. And also many of the sponsors of these bills are folks that are implicated in the investigation to overturn the 2020 election. So there's a clear conflict of interest. The fact that these legislators are under investigation in any way related to this case and are able to sponsor legislation is a problem, first of all. Second of all, um, the board that they are suggesting that would oversee prosecutors in Georgia would be appointed by the governor um, and therefore delete the power of the people because these are elected positions. Also, I want to note that there is already a recall mechanism. So there is a remedy on the book already in Georgia by law, and it's currently at 30 percent of the signatures are needed to initiate the recall. They're trying to get that down to 2%. So they're adding a remedy where one exists and one that dilutes the power of uh, the people who elect this prosecutor and puts it firmly in the hands of a Republican governor and an elite uh, group of prosecutors who will then decide the fate of prosecutors with no real standard to provide, right? When we saw some of these um, hearings, the testimony was was so damaging where we see these these folks in power accusing prosecutors of they themselves being racist for pushing back what is a, a clear policy to dilute the power of the people who elected these competent uh, and brilliant black women to uphold the rule of law. And thank you, CK, for really talking about the nuances of how um, Fulton County operates as a place that is upholding the law, even when it's not popular, right? So this is not a case where we're seeing, um, you know, a county that isn't prosecuting anyone. She is upholding the law and doing her job. And this, this has ulterior motives, and it's clear. And there is a clear conflict of interest from these legislators who are sponsoring these bills. Well, you know, when we, um, and Aaron, thank you so much for those comments, because, you know, this is happening all over the country, but Georgia's going to be a test case. And Dwight McKee, who's a political scientist like none other, who was there during all the struggles, and I know Dwight, you knew Kevin as well, and, and we all mourned his loss, but based on your brilliance, and, and, and you have predicted so much, <laughs> on, not on this show, just on this show, but just historically, what are your views on this? Well, this is very interesting. Thank you for the, the compliments, uh, Professor. It's um, it's very consistent and understand this is about two things, race and power. This is about white supremacy and them maintaining power. It's not new. When Tiger Woods began to dominate golf, they began to change the dimensions of the golf course to take away his competitive advantage. When Bob Gibson was striking out all of the white boys, they lowered the mound so that he wouldn't have a competitive advantage. Because what they do is, when we become dominant in an area, they change the rules so that they can get that back under control. The irony of this situation that as it feeds into gender equality is that white women are the body and soul of the Republican Party. 
and it is them supporting these white men and these legislators who put this policy in place that maintains them in a subdominant position because the same men that go after uh, these black prosecutors for prosecuting wealthy white men are the same politician that keep their paychecks and uh, subservient to a white man's paycheck who take away their abortion rights, who force them in many situations to not be able to uh, have credit and buy houses and buy cars without being co-signed by their husband. And so in many ways, their racism work against not just us, but themselves. Because they are the ones, those white women in the Republican Party, who co-sign on a lot of this madness and this nonsense. Mm. You know, stay right there. Hold that thought, because, you know, we've got to run out to this hard break, but... I want you to, we need you to expand upon that, CK. want to hear that because it's clearly, it's, it's not just about the person, it's about the principles upon which these women stand because every last one of them, and they are ideologically in different spaces, they're all catching the devil. They're trying to keep their jobs. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Legal Q&A with CK. We're looking at these black prosecutors, these black women prosecutors on International Women's Day who um, who meet such resistance when they get on the job. They meet such resistance as they are willing to challenge the status quo, which is why they were elected, as they are uh, willing to look at the evidence and say, you know what, I think there's grounds to indict President Trump. Um, You know what, I think that the police are not always right in these encounters with citizens. And we shouldn't just incarcerate people for marijuana possession. No, 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 no. Not when you're selling it out west. No, 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 no. These women are catching it. And so we have got Attorney Daryl Jones, Chairman of the Transformative Justice Coalition, Aaron Connolly, brilliant political organizer and strategist. We've got Dwight McKee, social scientist, of course, led by uh, you, of course, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, host of her own show on WAOK every Tuesday at 11 Eastern Standard Time. She's on Court TV as a legal analyst, and you can see her on all the networks, on ABC, MSNBC, because she is just that brilliant. Dwight McKee was making some points that I know that you wanted him to finish before you pivot to uh, Attorney Daryl Jones, Attorney C.K. Hoffler. Absolutely. We want to hear from, I like to call him Uncle Dwight. <laughs> no. Uncle D. <laughs> so we, we'd like to continue hearing from Uncle D, and then we're going to pivot to um, Attorney Daryl Jones for his comments. Uncle D? <laughs> so what I was saying is that 
it really comes down to white women figuring out what their real values and where their real, real priorities lie. Because they have to figure out whether or not their allegiance is to women or the whites. It's very interesting because sometimes those interests collide. And in any, many ways, they defer their responsibilities of women equality to white supremacy. And it's very sad because they are the difference. They could make a difference for everybody if they were as committed to equity for the society as they are to white supremacy for their spouse and for their husband, uh, which they you know only benefit from in a de facto sense. And so I think once they decide where they fit, it really will become a more equitable society. And if they see themselves as aligned with women of, of all classes and all statuses, who have a pursuit of justice and align themselves to them and give them the freedom to do the things that these black prosecutors are trying to do in terms of equal justice for all, including rich, corrupt white men, as opposed to them deferring to their husbands who qualify many of them as rich, corrupt white men siding on them and putting these legislators in play who are making all of these these uh, insidious rules and regulations that work ultimately even against themselves. Wow. Well, you know, in, in Georgia, it's very, very interesting. You have a coalition between allegedly gangster rappers who are being and the Georgia Republican-led legislature. It's very interesting because they both would like to see Fonnie Willis out. Mm. So, Daryl Jones, you spend a lot of time here in Georgia, Transformative Justice Coalition as the chair. You and Barbara Armwine have really changed the way, in many respects, that we educate voters these days, standing on the shoulders of the great Reverend Jackson. We all take a page from his playbook. So, Daryl, what do you say, having traveled Georgia, spent a lot of time not just on the Ahmad Arby case, but registering voters, being involved in, and being actually Transformer Justice Coalition was a plaintiff in voting rights litigation. So what do you say um, about what's happening to black women prosecution, particularly Fonnie Willis? You know, CK, uh, thank you for the question. And Santita, good morning to you. You know, it's, it's really uh, upsetting, it, this, this entire bill that has been introduced, particularly the Senate Bill uh, 92 that's been introduced, uh, is very upsetting, as it applies to directly to Fannie Willis, but also as it applies to voting rights in general. You know, what this bill would do is that it would create a prosecuting uh, attorney's qualification commission, right, that's to be made up of the legislative appointments and these uh, gubernatorial appointments. And what they would have the power to do is to look over the prosecutors that have been duly elected uh, in the state of Georgia. And they're really focusing on the 14, quite honestly, that are in the more progressive parts of Georgia. And so what they would have the uh, authority to do 
is to remove prosecutors who they don't like, who don't prosecute cases the way they want them prosecuted, or or don't uh, or are you know or overzealous in prosecuting certain cases, and it ends up being you know undermining the voice of the voters, and that's what's most important here is that the voice of the voters are heard. What this legislation would do is it would suppress that voice of the voter. It would suppress the voters' intention, the voters' decision to put Fannie Willis in place. One of the things that it clearly shows is the difference that voting makes for judges and prosecutors. Because when we vote in prosecutors that uh, that are of our interest in the community, such as Fannie Willis, uh, we end up seeing them, you know, uh, run up against uh, brick walls like this. But we've got to stay with them and we've got to continue to push for them. the, the whole concept here is that you know, whether you're Kim Fox in Chicago, uh, Kim uh, Gardner down in St. Louis, Fannie Willis in Georgia, all of them are facing the same type of resistance that's out there. Marilyn Mosby, here where I am in Baltimore, they're all facing that same resistance. And we've got to be certain that we stand with them because they are pushing a progressive agenda. They're pushing an agenda that is uh, that, that they've been voted in the office to push. This is what uh, Fannie Willis is running on, as you've indicated, C.K., you know, Fannie Willis is, 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 isn't far left or anything like that. She's very much a centrist. She's very much a, a formidable prosecutor. What this is about is that they don't like the fact that she's, uh, that she's uh, coming after the former president for the crimes that he appears to have committed in the state of Georgia. So we've got to be certain that we stand with the people that we elect and we do what's necessary to be certain that our voices are continued uh, to be heard. And, and that's what I think, uh, that's precisely what I see at this overseer bill, as I call it, in Senate Bill 92, because that's what it's meant to do. They, they want, you know, they, they had the overseers, the overseer, the slaves that were on the plantation. Now you got these uh, black women out there that, that are you know, doing and think they know so much and doing what they're supposed to be doing. You have the overseer, overseer bill to come and try to push them out of place. So we got to be certain we continue to stand with these ladies and stand with our black prosecutors and those that are are, are uh, pushing forward on the cause here, CK. Mm. Absolutely. You know, I'd like to just draw an, uh, just a, a comment or just make a comment on a prosecutor who nobody saw fit other than the Aubrey family mm. to remove. And that was that prosecutor who who engaged in literally obstruction of justice when Ahmaud Arbery was killed. Wait, 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 wait. I'm a layperson. She's an accessory after the fact of murder. They called her and said, look, we just killed the guy. She said, go home and w- clean yourself up and l- I'll work it out. What? Hello? Yes. Why is it now all over this? Well, I mean, I, seriously, this is ridiculous. This woman, she was, she was, she was in on the murder. I mean, really? Come on, CK, Daryl, you know that. So, I, I, and I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there because I want people to understand the dynamics in Georgia, and 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 it's not going to be just in Georgia. It's all over the country with black women prosecutors. But I just want to draw that parallel so that we see the dynamics in Georgia as it relates to Fannie Willis. My prediction is, my prediction is, if for some reason this law passes and they try to curtail or cut or clip her wings, by the time it passes, she will have already indicted if she intends to indict. And, and that's just my prediction. It's not going to stop her. This threat of this bill, of this, that, she's had her life threatened. 
The president is calling her all kinds of names every single day on social media. His whole, his whole base is focused on her. But I got news for them. She's not phased by that. That's not going to cause her to one way or the other ignore the evidence. If she doesn't see it, she won't indict. If she does, and if it's there and she can connect the dots, then she will. And if they pass this legislation, it probably will be after there's indictment. And she's got her whole office of people that she's trained. So I think there's, and it is Fulton County after all, and the Fulton County voters would have to vote in somebody else. But they would have to vote in someone else even if her wings were clipped and even if the, even if the recall was successful, which I don't think it will be because the citizens, I believe, are right doing what she should be doing. You know what? We have a couple of callers. I want to bring them in as you know, as we've been talking about this issue, because, of course, this is intersecting on with International Women's Day as we acknowledge the challenges and look at the progress that women have made in all realms. Let me go to Jewel from New York. Jewel, what's on your mind, sweetie? Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Thank you for taking my call. I just want to lift you up, Senator Jackson, for the legacy with your father and continuing to lift up women with this show, including me, around the world internationally when you listen to the show and you speak about all the issues and matters that we face on a daily basis and you inspire us by waking up early every morning, helping us face the day. Amen. I just have to dedicate that. It's me again. Thank you so much, David Jackson. Big hand clap. All the accolades, all the flowers, all the glory. I love you. We all love you. Every woman on the face of the planet loves you. Thank you for making this show possible for us to know what's going on and happening in our lives. Thank you. We love you, Jewel, and I can't wait to see you on the 20th and the 21st. I, CK, I think, and I will be up there next week, and we're going to see Jewel. we got to go get some coffee or something. That's right. Because Jewel's, you know Jewel's going to show up, so, you know, we've got, we've got to do that. Let me go to Tony. Tony, you want to speak on International Women's Day? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, God bless you, all of you, and may send blessings to uh, all of your family and loved ones. God bless you. Now I, I'm re- I'm reading this outstanding book by Isabel Wilkerson called Cash. Mm, yeah. And it, one of the pillars of Cash is the occupational hierarchy. I'm gonna read something real short. It says every act, every gesture was calculated for the purpose of reminding the subordinate caste and these otherwise unrelated caste systems of the dominant caste total reign reign over their very being. The upper caste wrote the 19th century author William Gardner made the claim of absolute proprietorship in the human soul itself. So we in a caste system and occupational hierarchy is one of the uh, pillars of the caste that they they are determined to maintain it. Thank you Amen. Amen, amen. Well, you know, power uh, is going to protect itself, C.K. Hoffler. It's going to do that. But wow, I mean, it's like this is, and you know, I'm glad it's happening because we've seen it happen behind closed doors. Now it's before us, C.K. Yep. I mean, but you know, a question has come up. What happened with C.K.? 
They want to know what happened with the prosecutor. Joyce said, what happened to the prosecutor in the Ahmad Arbery case? CK, that's a question. That's a good question. He has a trial coming up. Isn't that right, Daryl? Yeah, they haven't set the trial date yet, uh, but we do have the trial that will occur this year. So, you know, we're waiting on that date to be set in. And there are a lot of eyes on it, you know, CK, because, you know, as, as you know, it doesn't take three years to have a case come to trial. So uh, we don't know if they're trying to slow pitch this, hoping that people will forget. But, but uh, it is set to come up this year, and we're keeping a close eye on it. What is her name? Uh, Jacqueline Johnson. Okay, then we need to call her name at every opportunity. Obstruction of justice? No, 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 no. She was, a, she was an accessory to murder. Now, I'm just saying that as a lay person. Because you don't tell someone if, cause as, if, as, a, if as, a, uh, as a lay person, if I help someone get clean, wash themselves of someone else's blood, then guess what? I'd be an accessory. Is, is that not right, uh, Aaron and CK and, and Daryl? Hello? That's right. And, oh, okay. and then, like before, I mean, they called her and said, what should we do? What should we do? And she said, okay, this is what you do. And she said, it, but she didn't just do that. She continued to obstruct. She obstructed until she was stopped. But the thing is, the reason why Daryl's right, we have to keep our eye on There was a trial date set for her. Her trial date mysteriously keeps on getting pushed back because of this, because of that. One of the justifications was, well, you know, we've got the federal hate crimes trial that we have to focus on. Well, I, last time I checked, we could walk into bubblegum at the same time. I mean, there could have been the hate crimes trial and her trial at the same time back to back. So we have to just be mindful that there probably are, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on to push this off, hoping that people, the further removed they are from the Amon Arbery murder trials, the more they'll forget or the more they'll say, well, you know, she was just, she was just misguided. It's not that bad, but no, it is that bad. It's horrible. And here you've got black women prosecutors. They're not being accused of things like this. They're just being accused of doing their job of the reason why they were elected. And again, we have to point out and Santita, you mentioned this, Daryl mentioned this, I mentioned this. These prosecutors are, have very different, some of them political views. Some are more progressive. Some are centrist, like Bonnie Willis. So it's not a question of all of these liberal prosecute, black women prosecutors. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a political question. It's the black women issue. You know, and the perspective and that they are afraid that these women will represent. You know, the bottom up as opposed to as opposed to being in service to those in power. I think that's the absolute fear, CK. Yeah. You know, I think and it's a but we have a, mm-hmm. and they want to create a system of of selective prosecution. So with us, you know, they're calling for law and order, but they want latitude and grace for themselves. And they want to make those decisions. They want to take those decisions out of the hands of the black prosecutors and put them in the hands of white overseers who then can tell them, you know, where law and ownership prevail, particularly when it comes to us and where grace and, and um, 
should abide when it comes to them. It's the same kind of white supremacy that we've seen over the years. You know, it's very interesting. After the Civil War, black men declared that part of the emancipation was going to be that their black women who had who had worked in those fields for two hundred years would not have to have to go to work. That they wouldn't be not they would not be part of the the work system. If they had worked long enough and black men decided to protect and retire black women. And white women it was going to be part of the legislation. And white women rose up and told their husband that, in fact, they were not going to tolerate that because mm-hmm. they needed white women to wash their clothes and raise their children. And they forced white men doing Reconstruction to force as part of the settlement for a black man getting uh, any compensation or being part of the sharecropper system that black women would have to have to come with the package and would have to, they would be forced back into the marketplace uh, or back into working in those fields or back to working into uh, in those houses as part of the package that black men didn't have an option to retire their women. Well, Dwight, hold on. You ended up. Can, can, can I share with you how relevant up. that is? Because my mother had to fight to be called Mrs. Jackson. You remember that, Dwight. People became angry as my father became more prominent that my mother would call herself Mrs. Jackson. She said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. They were like, no, you're Miss Jackson. You're a woman in your own right. Blah, blah, blah. Of course she's a woman in her own right. Otherwise, her husband wouldn't want her. What are you talking about? Well, that's why black women ended up as the help in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s because it was legislated that for black men to have any access to the economy, that black women would be forced to, to, to work for white women all over again. And that's why I said that if you talk about a woman's liberation, the margin, the, the wild card in this is white women in their priorities, in their values. That if they are first women and protect all women, then they will make different choices. But if their goal is to protect white supremacy, which is what it seems to be, then they will keep putting in these uh, aggressive, uh, counterproductive legislators who are at the expense of even white women uh, locking down the access and equity for all women. Well, you know, because... White women never gave a black man, Reverend Jesse Jackson, credit for getting them on the ticket. The only reason Geraldine Ferraro got on that ticket was because Reverend advocated to put, he said, I will put a woman on the ticket with me if I am the nominee. Mondale, who was the eventual nominee, he would he just sat there looking like a stone. And every other candidate, John Glenn, all of them, they wouldn't say anything. They were like, well, well maybe we'll think about it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Reverend had done so well at the, at the end of the 84 cycle that they were trying to figure out a way to blunt him. They did not want him to be asked to be on the ticket as vice president because he had done well enough to, to be asked. So what they did was they put Geraldine Ferraro, someone we'd never heard of. I'm glad she was on the ticket, but we'd never heard of her. 
and they put her there, and these women never said thank you, C.K. We got about two minutes, literally, before we go, and we'll have a few minutes, just a few, on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends, so we can properly wrap up with this wonderful panel. Uh, but C.K., the last 90 seconds belong to you. Well, I'd like to say this. I'd like everybody to reflect on what it would mean if the Georgia legislature passes these laws or this law that would essentially dilute the power and the discretion of prosecutors in Georgia. And that would ostensibly unseat, kick out, get rid of Bonnie Willis, principally because she is investigating and could be prosecuting the former president of the United States. What will that mean? Think about it if it were in your hometown. Would you want the legislature determining who's going to be tried? What kind of justice is going to happen in your community? We already have a surge of police brutality, more killings than ever in the history of this country since George Floyd was murdered. We've had a surge. Can you imagine what would happen if legislatures take the power of prosecutors away and and take and, and prevent them from taking those tough cases, those difficult cases, thinking progressively, such as the murder of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and I could go on and on and on. That's what we need to look at. That's what we need to think about. There are legal ramifications surrounding all of those decisions. But I would submit to you, we know in civic class there are three branches of government. Each branch needs to be held accountable. But if you allow one branch to dominate the other branch, then we will have mass chaos. And so, Antira, I want to just go back to the roots, Portuguese roots. A luta continua, victoria e certa. On this issue, the struggle continues for black women prosecutors. But with the support of their communities who elect them, victory will be certain. You got to be in it to win it, everybody. Stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page as we wrap up things, uh, as we wrap up this show properly. Legal Q&A with CK. CK, when will you be back on Court TV? As a matter of fact, I'm back on today. There's going to be a long day from 11 to 3. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, this is sort of a special this- edition, 11 to 3. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, stay right here, everybody. I'm going to get some closing thoughts from Daryl Jones and Aaron Connolly and Dwight McKee, of course, Attorney C.K. Hoffler. I love everybody. Happy International Women's Day. Let's close the gap. Let's close all the gaps. None of us are free and none of us are truly equal until all of us are free and equal. Amen. Amen and amen. Much love to you, everybody. Can't wait to be with you tomorrow on the Santita Jackson Show. 